Our first scripture reading this morning is from 61st and 62nd chapter of Isaiah, beginning on page 650 in your Old Testament of your pew Bible. You know those things in the in the front. <laughs> I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he hath clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has covered me in the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep silent, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the gods your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Since the musician was going to offer a sermonette, then I would preach from a music stand. Actually, I did want to be a little closer here as we wrap up the year together. Our uh, gospel lesson this morning is from the 22nd uh, chapter, uh, I'm second chapter of Luke, verses 22 through 40. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, meaning Mary and Joseph, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let me give you a little footnote to that sacrifice. The traditional sacrifice was to offer a lamb, but there was a provisional sacrifice of a couple of turtle turtle doves or pigeons if you were poor. So it indicates that Mary and Joseph didn't have the resources for the higher class sacrifice. They just offered... A couple of pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. 
At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. In the waning hours of this year, O Lord, we ask that you fill our hearts with the knowledge of your presence that traveled with us throughout the year and the promise of your Spirit to lead us into the year to come. For whether we recognize your presence or not, you are with us at all times. And by your Spirit, we may step forward with confidence and hope. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's that time of year when Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians provide for us the strains of that old Scottish Robert Burns poem, Auld Lang Syne, which I think is best sung with the ear of groundskeeper Willie from The, from the Simpsons, right? To old body brace and put the guns of fine. Or twice he appeared to burn for a bird instead to dine. Or in English. <laughs> Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind. Should old acquaintance be forgot and old anxiety. For old anxiety, my dear, for old anxiety, will take a cup of kindness yet. For old anxiety. And surely you'll buy your pint cup. And surely I'll buy mine. And we'll take a cup of kindness yet for our dang sign. We too have run about the slopes and picked the daisies fine, but we've wandered many a weary foot since our dang sign. We too have paddled in the stream from morning sun till dine, but seas between us broad have roared since our dang sign. And there's a hand, my trusty friend, and give a hand to thine, and we'll take a right goodwill draught. For all dang sign. So here we are in church singing or remembering the words of a Scottish drinking song from the 16th century, by the way, written by a rabid anti Calvinist. I don't know if you knew that about Robert Burns, but he had little taste for the church and for its structure. As a young man, he defended Gavin Hamilton against the Kirk of the Session. Uh, or clerk of the session, as we would say, uh, for having broken the Sabbath. Uh, he broke the Sabbath day. He probably did something like, uh, I don't know, read the newspaper or go bowling or something. Uh, but uh, Robert Burns was not a good defender of the Scottish church. Nevertheless, we still sing this strange drinking song, and everybody gets the tune and sings all dang sign, and then we don't know any of the rest of the words, so we just go, ah, da, 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 da. Now, I mentioned this today only because I want to take a few minutes this morning to talk about the gulf of distances that are between us. All anxiety is about missing friendships, that an ocean of waves stands between loved ones and their presence. And so they suggest that they meet perhaps at the same time but in different places and each raise a glass in love 
and memory and connection to the other. And think about Auld Lang Syne, old long since, or it's been a long time since we've been able to sit and drink in the same pub together. It reminds me of the two Irish guys who are sitting at a pub on the south side of Chicago, side by side, wistfully remembering the old country, and one of them turns to the other and says, don't you wish we were in Dublin, raising a pint, wishing we were in Chicago? <laughs> Distance always places within us a sense of, of longing, which of course uh, brings me to church. Migration is a very human thing. Our ancestors, virtually all of our ancestors, came from somewhere else, right? And we as Americans like to romanticize our heritage, our European or Asian or African connections. And in that romanticization, we dismiss the fact that we ended up here because the people there didn't like us. We got kind of thrown out, but then we romanticize the connection and long for the old country, though few of us have ever met it. Why did we leave? Well, our ancestors left for some notion of a, of a better life. They were maybe fleeing a bitter life, and they were hoping that somewhere else they would find a better life. And so they arrived on the shores of whatever country their children and grandchildren would call home. Garrison Keeler says that his Minnesota ancestors that came from Norway arrived in northern Minnesota. And when they arrived, they became teary-eyed because it reminded them of home back in Norway. And so they settled there, and when they settled, they realized the reason why they left home was that the farmland was terrible. <laughs> but, but now in Minnesota, they were pursuing a better life. I left Omaha, came to Chicago, 1978. Spent the next 33 years of my life in Hyde Park, missing Omaha. And now that I live in Morgan Park, I sure do miss Hyde Park. <laughs> there is a longing of connection and distance. And you may ask, what does this have to do with church? When Mary Joseph brought the baby Jesus into the temple, they were fulfilling the requirement of the law of Moses by that time, probably 1,200 years old dozen centuries, and Moses said, 40 days after a child is born, you must present the child to the Lord, and the mother must be purified from all of the stains of childbirth. And then they would stand and be present before the community of faith in the eyes of the priest, welcomed back into the community after the trials of childbirth. And when they walked into the temple, they encountered two old folk, Simeon and Anna. We know absolutely nothing more about them than what we just read in the Gospel of Luke. Two elderly people who were looking towards the future. It's like every Presbyterian church you've walked into. What do you find? You find at least two old people, usually more. <laughs> Except Mary and Joseph were that rare occasion coming forward into the temple and they brought a baby. What happens when you bring your newborn infant into church? Everything in the narthex stops. They have a baby. 
Let me see the baby. Can I see the baby? What's the baby's name? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Do you know yet? What is it? Can I hold the baby? Can I touch the baby? Let me, let me see the feet. Who doesn't want to see little muffin feet on babies? The whole community comes alive. And it is usually the oldest among us that become very teary-eyed about the romanticism of childhood. Separated by decades of having our own children, something happens to your brain that recalls it as a good experience. (laughs) And so when we see the baby, we lavish upon the family all of the good news of how wonderful it must be to have a baby, while the parents say, well, I guess when you get old, you get a little addled and don't realize that it's not that much fun. But the connection between Simon and Anna and the baby Jesus, while profound in the Jesus in that moment is proclaimed as the Messiah, the promised one of God to redeem Israel and to bring the light into the Gentiles, there's also a much more pedestrian reality in a connection that we experience as a community of faith all the time. Simeon and Anna spent their days, though they were old, thinking about the future. And it was those thoughts about the future that allowed them to witness and see the Christ. I've pastored several churches and consulted with many more congregations, And often I encounter members of a congregation or pastors who say, everything would be wonderful if the old folk would just get out of the way. It's a new age, a new time. It's time for us to do church, to reach to the next generation. And more often than not, those words bring me sadness. Maybe it was because my mom was the longest and oldest member of her congregation upon her passing. There was pretty much nothing that a pastor could do that she wasn't able to say, that's a good idea, or that definitely won't work. And she was usually cracked. But to her passing day, she carried inside of her heart a desire for the future of the community of faith. And when she would say that some tradition was broken, it was not that she thought that something sacrosanct had been violated and therefore we had insulted the people of the past. She was saying, no, the value in that runs much deeper than you might understand. It connects generations. And I don't want to see the next generation dis connected. Mary and Joseph wandered in to perform a rite that was more than 1,200 years old. And that's what drove them into the temple. And when they came in, they found an elderly man and an elderly woman. And I remember as a little kid thinking, they're both single, why didn't they date? (laughs) Simeon and Anna, praising the continuity of their faithfulness, And simultaneously saying, this is what is bringing to us a hope for the future. We wander from place to place. We do. We think we're going to find something better. 
I wandered into Chicago thinking I'd get a better education in Chicago than I would at the University of Nebraska at Omaha or Creighton University. I have absolutely no idea if that was true. But I staked a lot of student loans on the fact that that was possibly the case. And I ended up creating a new home with new community and new connections. And then moving to another neighborhood in Chicago further south, all those sort of broke, and then I find myself connecting in new ways with new people. But there are always there, those there that help me understand the ropes. Where did this come from? Who are we? What does it mean to be a people in this place? And when you come as a new couple with a little child, you come to the ancient rite of baptism in which a congregation pledges to you and to that child that we will nurture you with the hope that you will eventually confirm these words from our mouth and put them into your heart and then you can carry that forward into the generation to come. It's often been said that those who are long-term members come to church in order to remember. And those who are new members come to church in order to hope. The problem with the budget is, is that memories are pretty cheap. And hope tends to have a higher price tag. But when you dig down, when you look, as I've had the privilege to look at many, many, many congregational records, you want to know who's actually paying the bills for the future? It isn't the new family with student debt and a mortgage and children and a car to pay off. No, those people who you think are the sticks in the mud that are preventing us from moving forward in more cases than not are the ones that are also paying the bills so there is a forward to receive. I know here in the last of the year, it's a bit of inside baseball, pastor talking about churches. I'm supposed to hand you something that you can take out into the world that'll help you see your life more dynamically, to enjoy more richly, maybe something about the rule of threes in music, which you will use much more effectively than my words today. But my words today are actually not what you take away from this place. It's what happens when you come into this place. Uh, last night, just a quick note. There was a celebration in this sanctuary. And there were only two of us invited, a minister and a photographer. What was the celebration? Joe and Jane Yount celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary on the day that they had taken their vows. They did it again in this same room 50 years later. Uh, the roses up were uh, Joe's attempt to try and impress his his bride. They're going to take him home afterwards so nobody else should. It was a sense of continuity, of connection. Now for Joe and Jane, that's 50 years. I will probably not be able to do something 50 years from now in this sanctuary, um, unless you have a crypt. I don't know. But it is the engrafting into that longer community that happens every time we sort of change places and change partners. And, and it is when you walk into a community of faith, you have that long continuity of its own history, but you also have people who are more than happy to weep, to weep, because a new face is an answer to their prayer. Simeon and Anna had been praying nearly their whole life that God would bring new blood 
into the temple. New opportunities, new expressions of salvation. And so when Joseph and Mary and the baby come in and Simeon and Anna go absolutely gobsmacked berserk, start reciting poetry and singing songs and dancing, though they were probably physically not all that capable of dance, it was because this baby, this young couple, this family is an answer to our prayer that we have prayed to understand that as we pass there is a future that is being kicked off even as we fade back. So your presence matters. Not for the salvation of your soul, that's between you and God, that has nothing to do with sitting in a pew and facing a guy who rambles on about Omaha, Nebraska and the Bible. It is a connection to a sense of continuity, a history and a promise, a present and an invitation to connect with all that has come before and to create that which is to come under the self-same spirit that guided others here years ago for their first visit in the sanctuary, whether they were an infant carried in arms, as was the case of Joe and Jay Yount, or it was a college student who had an apartment who came with a friend, or it was a new couple who just bought a house. You graft yourself into that sense of community that is an answer to the prayers of those who have waited for you. And over time you find out it is an answer to the prayer that you didn't even know you had made. And that is that you might find a better life and call it home. Amen. I invite you at this time to stand and join with me in the affirmation of faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father.